thus far on the Ortho Real podcast, we have interviewed leaders in the orthopedic industry, entrepreneurs, patients, social media influencers, uh, and we're doing that again today. It's all of those, but it's just one guy. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have uh, Mr. Johnny Cafaro. Johnny, we welcome. Doing? Thank you. How are we doing? Doing great, man. Great to have you on. I know we've talked before, but uh, really fun to have you on in this format and to talk again. Uh, welcome. Yeah, man. I'm really excited. I mean, we've been talking for a while to get on the show, and I mean, a lot of cool things have happened since then. So, I mean, I'm super stoked to be on here and talk. Fantastic. Well, you've got a really interesting background here. Uh, for anybody that might be listening, how did you end up you know, in the orthopedic device industry, what's been your journey uh, there to date? Yeah, I mean, that's the crazy thing is. And so I was born with a hip disease called leg calf perthes, um, pretty rare. They say it's four out of every 100,000 babies get it. And so it's not a buff, not enough blood supply went to the femoral head. So it would grow to form. So mine grew like a tomahawk instead of a ball. And so at five years old, my hip would slip out of socket and I was running and just face planet. And my dad's like, he's a little bit too athletic just to be falling straight on his face. And so we went to primary children's hospital and said, like, yeah, your son's diagnosed with this disease. We got to put him in braces. And so I wore braces on my legs from kindergarten to third grade, like Forrest Gump. And yes, I tried to run really fast. They never came off. Uh, very unfortunate, but I mean, it was a cool concept, but and so then over the years, um, my hip just kept on getting worse and worse. And I, I was in Finland for a church mission and the cobblestone streets, negative 40 degree weather just destroyed my hip. So I came back and I got a, uh, a surgery called the periacetabular osteotomy. You know what that is. Sure. So a, uh, a, a PAO uh, two for short, but how old were you by then? I was 22 when I first got that. So in, in between, you know, kind of those adolescent teenage years, I mean, still still active, still sports and things like that, or not as much because of the hip pain? or. But, I mean, I was a little kid. I didn't know what pain was. I just ran through it, right? And so my dad was a football coach, and so every summer we had football camps at the college, and I just put my braces over my pads and be running out there with the braces. I mean, I wouldn't let anything stop me played basketball, tried to play all this stuff. And so, I mean, even tried to play college football, which I definitely shouldn't have done, um, deteriorated the hips even more. But yeah, I mean, I tried to stay active as much as possible just because, I mean, that's that's where I, our family comes from is a line of sports. And I mean, I wasn't gonna let a, a hip or braces stop me, you know what I mean? And so I'm like, I gotta, I gotta play. Awesome, so you're back now from Finland. You said early 20s? Yep, early 20s, 22 years old. I go in and everybody doesn't want to give me a hip replacement. And so we go up to the University of Utah and we figure out that this surgery, a PAO, is another option. And I mean, at the time I wasn't in the industry, so I didn't really know what it was. I thought this was going to be an end-all, cure-all, and I'd be good to go. And I mean, it was tough. I mean, I was in bed for six weeks. I had to let the screws set. Um, I had to make sure that that healed. And eventually it didn't heal. What's a crazy thing is, and so then I had to go back 18 months later and get a total hip replacement. And I mean, I'm like, okay, so this is gonna be the end all be all, like I'm gonna be good. And so at that time, um, 
during the surgery or post-op, I don't know what happened, but my femur got fractured when you put in the stem. And so I was walking on a broken hip for nine, 10 months. And I was a rep at the time. Oh, sorry, chef. We got to back up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So Get way down the road. Yep, exactly. So I get, I get my, my hip replacement and I'm like, there's gotta be an, like something, a job or a career that has like, that, that does this medical or hip or something. Cause like, I, I've, I'm super interested in I mean, I've, I've, I've had two. And so I started calling around researching, didn't know anything. And then a name striker kept on coming up striker, like striker is a good company. Striker does hips and knees. And I didn't know what I was entailing. So I started interviewing and trying to get in. And as my dad was an old football coach, a lot of ex striker people, I mean, uh, all striker people are usually athletes or in the military or something along those lines. And so I called a couple of my dad's old college football players and they were managers at the time. And I, they're like, what, you have a hip replacement. That's crazy. Like, yeah, come and interview. So I would interview and then there would be like, nothing no response and nothing i'm like come on like this is i've got to get into this industry now because I've, i'm relatable like I can, I can do this and so then i uh i heard that one of the hiring managers were on vacation in california so i kind of did the crazy stalker girlfriend thing and <laughs> drove down to california said hey crazy i'm actually here too like i would love to be able to meet up i know you're on vacation and busy but i mean i'd love to be able to pick your brain and like try to move this process forward two days go by nothing i'm like gosh dang it like i just like drove down here for nothing and so then he calls me up he's like hey man if you can come down to my hotel by like 10 o'clock and it was nine o'clock in the morning he's like come on come to the beach we'll hang out we'll chat come in your bathing suit tank top flip-flops and then we'll just chat i'm an hour away from the hotel traffic right so i hurry and run upstairs put on a suit and tie and like just drive to the beach. And I'm like, here's, here's Johnny. This is all or nothing. I'm just sweating on the beach, just like drenched. He's laughing at me. He's like, take it off, dude. You're fine. I'm like, no, it's like, it's good. And so then um, the next day I actually got the job offer because of that. I mean, not because of that, but it was showed a lot of grit and determination that I really wanted the job. Yeah, so he offered you the tank top and flip-flops there, and you went with the suit. Is, is there a philosophy there? Is that just how you roll? What's up? No, yes. I mean, I've always been told you dress for success, and you only get one chance to make a first impression. And so, I mean, fashion's really big into me. I mean, I we have a, a shoe company called Cafaro Shoes. I mean, my parents used to dress us up in nice bow ties, and it just really stuck with me that I always wanted to be fashion-forward or just presentable. And so that's where I, I mean, like, hey, I, I'm going to put my suit on. I mean, what's, I mean, you can always take it off. So don't over, I mean, overdress to take off, don't underdress and you can't go anywhere from there. And so that, that was my philosophy is like, you get one chance to make a first impression. So we got a couple of things to circle back to there, but, but you, but you hit on one. So tell me about uh, Cafaro shoes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I love shoes, as you can tell, I mean, shoe obsession, I've got a bunch of Jordans behind me and so dress shoes, but Capera shoes came in mind as my brother. I mean, we, him and I are, we love fashion shoes and he was like, dude, we got to be able to create something where like 
they're high end, but they're not too high end, but they're comfortable at the same time because the comfortable shoes, I mean, they're not, they're not too good looking. I mean, we, you and I have talked about your Crocs and that philosophy. Those are most comfortable <laughs> shoes ever, but there's, I mean, I can't wear them. I mean, they're not my, they're not my cup of tea. And so I'm like, Hey, I'm in the perfect industry. I know like everybody wears shoes, like let's start addressing the medical field and start hammering here that we got high end fashionable shoes that are extremely comfortable. And we haven't gotten to the third hip, but I, my three hip replacements, I have to have comfortable shoes. I have to have shoes that are going to make, let me stand in them for 16 hours. And so we just combined fashion with comfort and we got to be able to slap our last name on it and be able to like sell some shoes. And so it's like, it's been a blast and it's taken off and we've only done really truly like basic LinkedIn marketing campaigns and it's, it's done really well. And it's, it's been a little fun side project for sure. When did you start that? Almost. So I would say about three years ago and we had to do proof of concept, market analysis, making, making sure that we hit right price points and all that stuff. So, but I would say within the last, 18 months or a year that it's really taken off. I mean, it's, it's taken a while for us to be able to get traction and people be able to recognize what it is. And so I love being able to walk in the airport, like, Oh, those are Ferro shoes. I'm like, yeah, they are. That's how did you know? That's awesome. So that was really cool. I mean, but yeah, I'd say about two and a half, three years ago, we truly started and then it's just steamrolling right now. So if we've got uh, listeners looking for, fashionable comfortable high-end uh shoes uh how do they find you so caferoshoes.com i mean caferoshoes on instagram caferoshoes on linkedin um you can always reach out to me as well i can be your personal concierge to be able to pick out your good shoe for you as well or anybody that you need a gift for but yeah those are the three outlets that you can be able to find caferoshoes Awesome. So they got to be comfortable because, as you said, you've got this ongoing saga with your hip. Now, when we left you, you're now early mid 20s. You've had a periastabular osteotomy, which, so for anybody listening, um, this is a, a little out of the lane of what I do, um, but that's when you've got leg calf perthes or dysplasia or some. Uh, uh, altered shape of the hip, particularly in a young patient uh, like you you are and were at the time, certainly. And you're essentially cutting or, or breaking part of the bone and reorienting it to uh, reshape it and to try to have the forces in the hip loading appropriately in order to try to preserve that hip, at least for some period of time, so that a patient can hopefully uh, defer a hip replacement until they're older. And certainly with, you know, previous generations of hip replacements that were not going to last as long, uh, this was a really big concern. And this was, was something that was developed sort of in response to that, that was better than fusing someone's hip. So now you've had this periastabular osteotomy, you've had a hip replacement, um, still pain with that after your hip replacement. I mean, still pain. So then I'm now finally have gotten the job at Stryker. He offered me the job the next day. Um, little did I know, um, a person with seven years medical experience and I had none showed up with the tank top shorts and flip flops on the beach with the hiring manager. 
And he's just like, man, Johnny wants it more. Johnny's going to be able to be more of a go-getter into this. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's my mentality maybe. And maybe why I drove to California in the suit. It was all all co- combination of things. But I think it was just drive, determination. And that would translate into the job, you know. A guy, a guy in a suit on the beach is memorable. You got that. <laughs> it stands out. I mean, 6'6", six, six, guy on a beach, suit. <laughs> All right, so so pain with that hip, where does it where does it go from there? Yeah, so now that I'm a rep at Stryker in Tri Cities, Washington, um, pain. So I'm lifting fifty pound totes, instrument trays, running around hospitals. It, I'm like, man, this is not like this is worse than before. Like I don't understand. And now that I'm in the industry, I'm like going to doctors. I'm like, guys, my femur is killing me like i can speak it now like I, I can articulate what's actually hurting and everyone's like let's do a shot in your back i'm like i listen it's not my back i promise you it's not my back i've had a hip replacement it's my femur and so i mean it just kept on getting frustrated and so then i had to go back out to striker for um, trauma 301 training to be able to get uh, certified in trauma training and so one of the instructors just saw I was in so much pain and she's just like, can I see your x-rays? I'm like, yeah, there's like nothing on there that's like showing. And so she reached out to uh, Dr. Jarbeck at um, HSS and he, she was like, hey, we got a student here that's like in a lot of pain. Is there any way that you could see him? And he like, kind of chuckles. He's like, when? She's like, today. <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> and so he's like, yeah, if you can get to the city by two o'clock, like I'll, I'll see him. So one of the instructors actually drove me personally down there straight to HSS and he sees what makes me walk, does my gate check, does more x-rays. He's like, dude, I don't see anything. He walks me down to the MRI station at HSS and says he needs an MRI right now. And everyone's like looking at him like, who is this guy of Dr. J? Like what? Like it takes, you know how long it takes to get an MRI approved through insurance and all this stuff. He bypassed everything. And said he needs an MRI right now. And so we get the MRI and he's like, okay, I'll call you when I get the results. And so on Monday, the following Monday, he called me. He's like, dude, your femur's lit like a Christmas tree on the MRI. It's fractured. He's like, you've been walking on a fractured hip for 10 months. I was like, I knew I was in pain. I knew it was my femur. I told you guys. (laughs) But no, it it was sad and relief at the same time, right? I'm like gosh dang it i have to go on the operating table a third time within four years like this is insane and by that time i'm 25 and um at that time i was on strikers insurance and my parents insurance because at 26 you get off your parents insurance you know right and so i told uh i was like dr j i'm like hey is there any way you can get me in before april 29th (laughs) before my birthday and he starts laughing. He's like, dude, I'm pretty booked out. Like, we got to, like, we'll have to look at this. And so then his assistant called me. He's like, hey, I don't know who you are, what you said, but how does March 12th sound? I was like, what? Really? So then I go in for my revision where they take out the stem and then they put a striker restoration cone conical stem in, ream past the fracture site, and then cable it. And we kept the G7 cup in um, because it was so fixated. And so then that, that's the, the story of the three hips. And uh, it's crazy. I mean, I was in the industry. I mean, he gave me the option between another stem 
and strikers and I just felt like Stryker had more track history, more clinical data, and I was working for Stryker at the time. So I'm like, I got to put a Stryker hit there. <laughs> yeah, that's a restoration modular stem that's uh, uh, very frequently copied and kind of kind of changed the standard um, with some of those revision stems. There were a lot of surgeons I know that, that didn't use Stryker particularly, but they they did when they needed that stem. Uh, it was. It, it's been uh, been popular for quite a while. It's got quite a track record. Yeah, um, and the cool thing is, is that they're launching uh, restoration modular short stem now. So the conical stem is going to be 115 uh, millimeters, and so that's going to help change a little bit. So you can maybe go do a direct anterior approach with it now, or so it'll be really cool to see how that goes. I think that's a great idea, and I think that's needed. There's there's a few other uh, folks that have some some shorter cone conical stems like that out and uh i think you, a lot of times you just don't need to be that far down the femur no fantastic so what do we talk about that from or what do we talk about from there about where you've gone in the industry or does it relate to your your kind of this uh personal branding social media icon influencer guy now when and how did all that develop yeah so i mean i was i was in tri-cities washington as a sales associate and then i came back from my third hip replacement and at that time basically associates can be put anywhere and so i came back from my replacement and they said you need to move to yakima washington <laughs> i don't know if you've ever heard of that place or been there but it is is not a fun place to be they call it the armpit of washington or the palm springs of washington so uh, apologies to all of our listeners in yakima uh consuming the podcast there <laughs> hey man I, I have no problem against it but it was just hard being a medical rep in yakima washington it was it was difficult Fair enough and so um so i look at like people in the industry and i saw like a lot of leaders had marketing experience or engineering experience or something along the lines that they had dual experiences so they could be able to further their career so i looked at a company called ortho development um, based back in utah and so i became their hip product manager um, over there and so it was really cool because i was like i have a hip this is cool. I can be a product manager. I can launch new hip product stems. I can be able to launch acetabular cups. Like it was a really cool experience to be able to manage projects on the inside, but also have the sales ability to be able to know what the sales team needs. And so it was like really cool to have hand in hand, you know? And so it was really good experience for me, but I felt like I was kind of like stifled. I needed more growth. I didn't know there was really no trajectory for me to grow. And so then a company called United Orthopedics reached out to me um, and they said, hey, would you want to be our global product manager over knees and hips? And they're a Taiwanese based company. So I'm like, global experience. This would be awesome. This would be really cool to be able to get a bigger brand out there and be able to have. But it was a lot harder of a sell because not a lot of people know about United Orthopedics. And so that's where I started shifting my mindset and started using social media as almost as a brand for myself, but also putting United Orthopedics on the map because it was very difficult trying to sell this thing without anybody knowing what it is. I mean, Kevin Brown, the cool thing, your, your rep, your distributor out there, he found United Orthopedics through my LinkedIn post. 
And so that's where I started creating traction and making sure like, but I also tailored it towards like personal things because like I wanted people to know about my story. And so I'm like, hey, Johnny, the hip guy or Johnny's had hip replacements. I can go to him. Oh, he also sells it or like, oh, I can trust that product or I can be able to like if he's talking about or selling it and he's had it, then I can be able to use that as well. And so I started using that as a, a platform for myself to be able to promote, but also gain awareness for the company. And then as I like started growing and getting more and more traction, I was just like, this is great. This is bigger than just a company that I can be able to do. It's my own personal brand. What does Johnny Caffaro represent? What can I be able to do? Do I help people? Do I network? Do I bring people along? Is what, what do I do or talk about? And so then I just started creating pillars of things that I love. So medical, fashion, motivation, and networking. And I based my four personal brands on that. And it just kind of took off. And it was really cool. And then, I mean, seeing people at industry meetings, that's where you and I met. And that's where we could be able to connect and network. And so I think that was a big thing for me is to be able to get myself out there in a different way than most people were doing because I live in Utah and it's the biggest tech company, tech world right now, Silicon Slopes, they call it. And I saw all my friends and everybody in the in here like posting on LinkedIn and like doing all this crazy stuff. And I'm looking at the medical field. I'm like, there's nobody doing it. There's nobody talking. There's nobody posting. There's nothing. And so then I'm like, there's a niche, there's something that I can do, but like, it's going to be difficult because medical is completely different than tech. You know what I mean? And so that's where I started, like just posting about surgeries, posting about cases, posting about instruments. And now if you look at LinkedIn, I've never seen more case posts, surgery posts, new cases. I mean, surgeons discussion things. I'm like, wow, this is a whole new wave. And I started about 18 months ago, two years ago on this platform trying to grow it. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, I think on a, in a couple of ways. I mean, medicine is slow to slow to adapt and slow to adopt uh, in certain ways. And some of that is a is is correct. It's a safety concern, you know, everything, you know, we're we're an industry where, you know, failure is not an option. Um, you know, cuz you're de- you're dealing with people. So uh, there's a there's a safety factor built in. It causes change to be slow, uh, but you're exactly right as far as what's evolved. And I, I've seen some of the numbers, and uh, it's for surgeons, and I think even for orthopedic surgeons, it's it's hundreds a month that are creating new profiles on LinkedIn because there's it's a there's a ton of growth there. Just people sharing cases and sharing information, and some of the things we've talked about where conversations that in years past only happened at national meetings, you know, once or twice a year, do I get to meet a Johnny Cafaro or other surgeons from around the country and really have those, um, those informal discussions where a lot of, of real deal, authentic information gets shared. And now, you know, 24, seven, 365, uh, on, on our phones, on, uh, on some of these social media platforms. So it's been interesting. But it's cool too because like you see camaraderie as well too you at you're seeing people asking questions and seeing what would you do for this case or uh, you're not seeing anybody really truly attacking people it's actually like it's a platform where everyone wants to be able to help and i 
I think that's awesome because I mean, in towns right now, like, you know, competitive surgeons, whatnot, but like, I feel like LinkedIn is so big, it's worldwide, everybody wants to help in the most part. And so I feel like it's, I mean, I didn't know that stats, like hundreds of day creating new profiles. I mean, it's incredible. But like back in back when I started, there was no surgeons, there were no medical really reps right. pr promoting anything. And so it, the shift of it was it was incredible. Yeah, it was me, you, Vin Dasa, uh, Kevin, a few other people. It was it was a lot thinner crowd at that point. But you're absolutely right. It's it's uh, very collegial uh, in in how those discussions go on. So that's a good thing. Uh, and you've you've clearly leveraged that networking, either social media or everywhere else. I feel like every time I see you, you're on the sidelines of uh, a high profile NFL game or or somewhere else with, with somebody famous. Uh, how did all this evolve? No, I mean, like I said, I love networking. I love meeting new people. And I feel like uh, I can be, I wanna be genuine, right? And I feel like if people know that you're genuine and authentic, you're gonna be able to go further places or different places. And so, I mean, I met people through people and they'll introduce me through things or I know somebody and I'll connect them and bring it together and I'll be able to go with it. And so, I mean, it's cool that my dad was a football coach at BYU for a while and then assistant athletic director. So I met a lot of like famous people through there. Um, I mean, the Reeds are good friends of ours. And so I get to be able to go to Chiefs games and be able to be a part participate in that. And so I feel like it's just like I already do what I do in person that I'm doing on LinkedIn. I'm just doing it on a broader scale on LinkedIn, but like I was already doing this way beforehand. Like I was already trying to connect with people. I was I was basically a LinkedIn through my phone because, hey, Johnny, do you know such and such? Can you get here? Yeah, let me connect you with that person. And hey, I'm going with you if you're going though. You know what I mean? You're, you're taking me with you. And so I feel like that's my biggest thing is this. I love connecting with people and networking and like, because I get to learn and I get to be able to help them out too. And so, I mean, that's, that's the, the joy for me to be able to do that. So you were connecting and you were bringing people value already and then social media and the internet just amplified and intensified what you were doing already. Exactly. I mean, it just gave me a bigger platform to be able to reach out to more people and be able to connect it. And so that, that's the biggest thing. So hip project manager at Stryker Orthopedics now, did I, did I get the title correct? No, yeah. So I'm the senior manager for uh, downstream marketing for the hip global division. Yep. Yeah. So I got it completely wrong other than the hip part, but uh, we, we were in the ballpark a little bit. All right. So you you don't speak uh, on behalf of the, of the corporation or its surgeons or other people, but for for Johnny Cafaro, where where are we going with hips? What what's what's what do we need to be looking at in the next 10 to 20 years and what's going to, what's going to make those better and what are some of our, our moonshot projects maybe? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, I mean, direct anterior, right? I mean, that's, I mean, it's been out there for a long time, but now, I mean, as you look at the stats, almost 50% of surgeons are doing uh, direct anterior approach. And I feel like if we can be able to start continuing to perfect that and get that going, I feel like that's going to continue to grow and I don't see it changing. Right. I mean, I don't know what your approach or your style is. Is it direct anterior or half or posterior or. 
posterior lateral historically, a little bit of direct superior for a while. I've done a handful of direct anterior and, and still primarily uh, posterior lateral, both robotic and some navigated. So that, that's been interesting because I've had a lot of uh, – a lot of hip guests on the podcast and uh it's fun uh because that gets controversial and uh you know leo whiteside is uh, hey this is stupid it all needs to be posterior you should never be doing this it's terrible uh andy wickline uh is like hey yeah if i have mine uh it's direct anterior all the way this is what i want um had uh, Dave Tate from Elite FTS on. He's had both of his hips replaced, one anterior and posterior. Um, one uh, and, and very different experience uh, with both. His his posterior actually recovered much much better uh, than his direct anterior. Um, but 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 again, that's where where this gets nuanced, and, and that's the part. Um, that I think these discussions help because, you know, I mean, Dave on the platform when he was competing in powerlifting, I mean, 300 plus pounds. I mean, he's just, you know, this would, this would be a hip replacement on a gorilla. Right. And, you know, this, I've had this discussion with a a good friend of mine, fellowship trained high volume uh, surgeon that does both anterior and posterior hips. And he's like, yeah, you know, sometimes that younger, big, heavier male you're doing so much retraction and so many releases uh, when you do it anterior that, you know, I, I'm not sure it still adds the value that it, it might for somebody else in that situation. So that's interesting to me kind of, uh, of what some of the nuances are. Uh, but I mean, I mean, I feel like it's not a one size fit all right. I mean, I, and that's the hardest thing is like some people think that it is a one size fit all because, and then also each stem is not going to fit each person. Right. And so. Absolutely. And I feel like that's frustrating for the point is like, sometimes like I wish that we didn't use a microplasty taper lock stem in my hip because I was type a, I had great bone. I would much rather maybe had a, a cortical three degree conical taper or something that could fill the cortices. You know what I mean? Something that would give me better. I mean, just not fracture my proximal femur. And so, but like, we don't know that because then it could have fit someone's perfectly and that's a great stem in somebody else. And so I'm not knocking that stem. I'm just knocking it on. It's not one size fits all. And people got to understand. This is something I talk about in my practice all the time of having custom solutions for patients. And I'm like, after this podcast, I'm about to probably go cut a little video about that and talk about that because patients, I feel like a lot of times are coming to me, coming to us and, they, they want what's the best. And I, I, I think there's there's a perception sometimes if they can find this one new thing, whether it's a robot, whether it's a custom implant, whether it's a particular uh, surgical approach, whether it's a particular knee or hip implant or hip stem, or like if I get this thing, this is it. And I really try to to explain that and talk around that. And, and it's not any one thing. We've got this, this ecosystem of different solutions. And what we need to do is figure out what's the best one for you. Uh, because everybody's hips different, everybody's knees different, their health, uh, their soft tissues around it are, are totally different. And so 
I think we, we like you said, we've got to put some time in thinking about things and not doing one-size-fits-all type approaches. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the biggest thing is because when somebody says, says see something new or shiny, they're like, that's what I want, right? That's the, the newest, greatest, best thing. But the thing is, I mean, if you look at Exeter STEM, it's been around for 50 years, and it's probably the, it's the number one hip STEM cement or cementless in the registry and that's 50 years old and people don't understand that like even something that old is could be better than something the new right and so like that's that's just the nature of the game is like if you have track history clinical history like wouldn't you rather have something that has that instead of like the new and shiny and i don't think a lot of people understand that that's not in the industry with us right because when any like when you see a new iPhone, do you want the new iPhone? Yeah, because it's got the new and greatest tech and it's got everything you yep. need. But then like, do you need a new STEM? Uh, I'm gonna wait a little bit to see how it works, like because it's so different in our industry. You have to have time. You have to have things, resources, clinical. You have to have like historical data that's gonna make sure that because like you said, you and I have talked about a lawnmower that works 95% of the time is a great lawnmower, right? 5%, it's all right. But if you have 5% failure in any of your implants or anything, that's catastrophic for your or us, right? And so it's like people don't understand that that's the that's a big change. I think you're exactly right. And I, that kind of circles back to what you were talking about, just your your credibility in the industry with having been through some hip surgeries and having some, some understanding of that and um, just trust. Uh, based around authenticity and, hey, is this person looking out for me and, and going to help me kind of get to the right answer for things? So I think you're exactly right. Yeah, I mean, it's cool because I have people, I mean, just the other day I had someone going like, hey, I'm going into my hip replacement tomorrow. Is there any extra words of advice that you could be able to give me? Or, I mean, it's really cool because people trust that I, because I've been there and I've been that through that experience and I actually get to work in the industry of that as well. And so it's like, it's really cool to be able to connect with people and build that trust with them and be like, Hey, listen, you're good. Don't worry. I mean, maybe ask your surgeon a few of these questions. So you have a better understanding because I feel like sometimes, I don't know if you see this, but um, people come in and whatever you say is like word written, like, that's exactly and they're like okay you're like do you have any questions nope whatever you said is perfect like i feel like people need to have a little bit more questions so then they have an understanding of what's going on and like okay this is going to happen or like is this going to be best for me because sometimes like i didn't i walked in i'm like all right you're the doctor like fix this hip because i have no idea what's going on like i didn't know what questions to ask i didn't know and so it'd be cool to be like it's cool that people are asking me to ask questions and like hey ask this question like does are you a candidate for direct anterior or is that something that you would like well okay what kind of stem is he planning on using or because these questions these patients don't really kind of know and i love the fact that you tell your patients hey not one size fits all i i have patient specific stuff sometimes too, to be able to match your anatomy perfectly or there's so many different cool technologies out there that be able to get that done you know what i mean and so i feel like that's that's so cool to be able to have that trust and be able to build that with people. I, I think you're exactly right. And I, I think that from my standpoint, I like when, when patients come in with questions. Um, it just gives us a, 
at least a jumping off part for a, di- a jumping off point rather for a discussion of, yeah, um, okay, I understand that question about this. No, I don't do that particular thing or use that particular thing, but here's why, and here's why I do something else, and here's what we're really trying to get to with this. Um, and and there's misunderstanding about um, even, let's say, robotics, for example. Is this less invasive? Will this make me recover quicker? Maybe, but probably not. What this is really after is accuracy. Know, we want to do what we're doing better. We want you to have a really durable long-term result, and that's what we're, we're building towards with a lot of these things. So uh, I think you're exactly right. Uh, awesome. What's next for, for Johnny Cafaro? Where, where are we going to see what's going on? I mean, let's talk about October 9th, what we got going on, right? Yeah. We got the Society for Medical Reps, that huge conference, first of its kind. Um, super excited to do the panel with you. I think it will be really cool to be able to talk about personal branding. I mean, if you guys don't know Dr. Barber's LinkedIn, I mean, he crushes it as well. He's influential on the LinkedIn. And um, I mean, it's fun being able to collaborate with him on things. And we've had a lot of good laughs and a lot of good things. And so I feel like what we're going to be able to do at this conference is help people know how to build a personal brand or help them be able to grow into not just make those typical sales calls, right? It, you're going to do, I mean, lately I've been trying to get in touch with some CEOs here in the tech valley just to pick their brain and no messages go through or getting through. So I just started commenting on their posts and you become visible on their posts. And I had a lunch meeting with him last Friday, like one of the CEOs. I mean, there's so many different avenues to get in front of now surgeons. That's how we're going for this society for medical reps. And how do you get in front of surgeons in a different way? Or how do you create a brand that's trustworthy that if you do a post in Oklahoma City that 10,000 or like a thousand surgeons see it instead of you trying to go door to door to door. And so I'm super excited to do this with you on October 9th in Charlotte. Correct. That's the Society for Medical Rep Advancement, SMRA. Um, and so I think uh, probably a lot of independent reps, but I think probably a lot of guys from some some big companies like yourself as well. Uh, huge networking opportunity there, um, and we're we're sharing a platform for a little while and talking about some stuff. So I think that'll probably bring some value for some people as well. So uh, we'll get our plug in for that, and uh, and we'll see everybody there. I mean, and then what's next is just riding the wave. I mean, I feel like. It's been really cool to be able to see how my personal brand done well and LinkedIn, but then also kind of create a personal brand within my company Striker now, right? I mean, it's an amazing corporation. It's massive. It's huge. And so how do I create a different approach and a personal brand there and be able to make an impact and be able to leave a footprint to be able to know, hey, I, I made this a little bit better or I've changed a few things to be able to make sure that we provide for our patients a little bit better and how are we approaching that? Because like I said, I have a unique opportunity that I was a patient and that I'm in the field now. And so I can be able to look on both sides of this on the spectrum, right? And be able to be like, okay, is this truly going to be able to help patients? Is this really what we're going to be doing? And so I always have that in the back of my mind is like, are we truly doing that and making sure that we are making healthcare better with, with our customers? You know what I mean? 
Johnny, I think you've got an amazing perspective on things. I think you're very uniquely positioned just because of your story uh, to bring a lot of authenticity and to uh, really have that brand and to have that trustworthiness to be able to move the needle for patients and for people in the industry. So uh, thanks for coming on Ortho Real today and uh, sharing your story with us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Always a good time. Great talking to you, and we'll catch up soon, okay? Sounds good, man. Appreciate it.